0: Welcome to an inspirational message by Pastor Harold Weiss, Senior Pastor at Little Falls Christian Center. We're dealing with the Lord, the Lord who is our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We give you glory and honor. At the time of the Thanksgiving, Lord, this whole month we've dedicated to you As we've seen worldwide, people do this, they devote themselves. I think the first thing we give, we've got to give ourselves to you. All together. All together. Now all together. We are yours. We give give you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Absolutely all of us, all things we possess, we place it in your hands to lead us by your Holy Spirit. What to do in this life, under all circumstances, we shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We thank you, Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you all. And uh, just good to see you here this time of the year. I think we got about another week or so. And then we're going to have the road open on that side. I think I want to give the Lord a praise offering for that one too. Amen. Net so speciale Christus geskenk. Christmas gift. Amen. To this church. I mean, we had a thing with that bridge and that bad road down there. Hallelujah. That's all I can say. You praise the Lord under all circumstances. Well, today we welcome you to the house of the Lord. Tonight, I have something which I've wanted to preach and I thought I'll preach it next week and then I thought, no, I can't hold it back anymore. Tonight, it is to climb a mountain and then I will pray. How many of you have been climbing some mountains? Let me see your hands right now. Wave your hands to the Lord if you're climbing mountains. Tonight, we'll deal with that and then we'll pray about that and we'll do a good job on that. I'm very excited about tonight. But now, we go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 in verse number 5. And um, Paul in verse number 5 says, now listen very carefully to this. He says, therefore, I thought it necessary. 2 Corinthians 9 and 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, ahead of time. Actually, next week is Thanksgiving Day. And prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, and that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly, everybody say sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully, everybody say bountifully, will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Everybody say cheerful so we see these things, and I was very much touched in the week when I passed by from the study, and Maud had the television, Christian television in the morning. She takes a lot of that, and I sometimes sit down and listen to something that catches my attention, and uh, this time it caught my attention there are a few people that do definitely catch my attention. One is John Hagee, his son Matthew Hagee, David Jeremiah, and... Uh, There are some more that I can think of, but particularly Jensen Franklin. But uh, when it comes to these men, they caught my attention. And it was Matthew Hagee that spoke and he made the statement, as I'm walking past there, I'm listening and as I'm walking, I hear, why do we give to God? And then he says, because he is God. That's why he's God. And, uh, you know, they just stopped me, and I caught a speed wobble, and I came back again. Then I sat down, and then I began to carefully listen to what he was saying. And he comes down to that verse there, and he talks about a grudging giver. He talks about one of necessity, and he talks about a cheerful giver. A grudging, he breaks it up into three. And he has some applications to that. Well, I love it. I loved every minute of the sermon. I never enjoyed a sermon so much in that time. Well, here is 8.35, just in time for me to read you something. You say that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, don't you know? How many of you say Jesus is Lord? Say it. Lord. That's right, to the glory of God the Father. Everybody say, Nobody can say, now, I'll I'll, I'll tell you now. Nobody can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 and 3. Everybody say, Jesus is Lord. Well, we have, I've been in the advantageous position. I've done a lot of research in my life. And so I then went in this past period of time and I was looking at the fact that Jesus is knowable God becomes knowable in a relationship. As you draw close to Him, you become to the experience. where you get filled to the Holy, with the Holy Spirit, you, you become a temple of God. He is knowable through His Word. And then I take the whole of the Bible from beginning to end. And as I look at the Bible, it is an amazing, amazing story. So let me just read you this little, Piece of material, which is one of the things we say he is God. Okay? Everybody say he is Lord. Everybody say he is God. Everybody say, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. If that be the case in your life, then give the Lord a praise of him. So now let us take a closer look at the Son of God because we give to God. So we look at these three are one and I want to look at the mathematical probability that Jesus is the Christ. Now it's very interesting that um, in the book of Colossians 1 and 17 it says that He is before all things. By Him all things were created from verse 15, Colossians 1. By Him all things were created. And in Him all things consist. And He is before all things. I was saying yesterday, in the prayer meeting, you don't talk about B.C. and A.D., for Christus and nach Christus. You talk about the one who's before all things. People say, Jesus, they say 2,000 years. And then there you got all these skeptics and things running around. But did you know, that Jesus is the Christ is before all things, because by Him all things were created, and all things. Now, no thing, nothing was created except by Him, and through Him, for Him, by Him, for His good will and purpose, before all things. So you know, when we take a calendar, we say B.C. or you say two thousand years after Christ. After Christ, Christ is from eternity to eternity. If you say after Christ, you've got to start with the creator right in the infinity past. Die oneindige verlede. You can't say anything is before that. So when we say, you know, after Christ, then we say, okay, that's an impossibility because he lives forever in a power of endless life. Before and after. So we come in the calendar and we split the thing up, we say, BC. And in Israel, and notice they say BCE, before common era. Christ is eternal. Can you say amen? Amen. You give to God because he's God. Now, you know, if we therefore look at this and we say here, the mathematical probability that Jesus is the Christ, let's take a look at this. This is done in a university study, and I'm going to read this for you. I need to read this because it's good. The reason why prophecy is an indication, because prophecy tells you, there are more than 400 prophecies that tells you about Jesus, and he fulfills them all. Now watch. The reason why prophecy is an indication of the divine authorship of the Scriptures, and hence the testimony of the trustworthiness of the message of the Scriptures, is because of the minute probability of fulfillment and being of the prophecies. Anyone that can make predictions, possible for anybody can make predictions, but having those prophecies then fulfilled is vastly different. In fact, the more statements made about the future and the more detail, then the less likely the precise fulfillment will be. For example, what's the likelihood of a person predicting today the exact city in which the birth of a future leader would take place well into the twenty second century? Question mark. This is indeed what the prophet Micah did seven hundred years before the Messiah. Further, what is the likelihood of predicting the precise manner of death that a new unknown religious leader would experience a thousand years from now, the manner of death presently unknown, and then to remain unknown for another hundred years or so many years, yet this is what Daniel did a thousand years BC. And again, what is the likelihood of predicting the specific date of the appearance of some great future leader Hundreds of years in advance. This is what Daniel did 530 years before Christ. Once we conceive and we take 50 specific prophecies about a person in the future, here in the old covenant, a person in the future whom one would never meet, but there's a prophecy now. Just what's the likelihood that this person would now fulfill all 50 of the predictions? How much less would this likelihood be if 25 of these predictions predictions were about other people and what they would do to him and were completely beyond his control? For example, how does someone arrange to be born in a specific family how does one arrange to be born in a specified city like Bethlehem in which their parents don't actually live? How does one arrange in their own death and specifically by crucifixion with two others and then arrange to have their executioners gamble for his clothing? Psalm 22, 18. How does one then further arrange to be betrayed in advance? You How does one arrange to have the executioners carry out the regular practice of breaking of the legs and of the two victims on either side, but not their own? How does one escape from a grave and appear to the people after having been killed? Indeed, It may possibly be possible for someone to fake one or two of the messianic prophecies, but it would be impossible for one person to arrange beforehand and then fulfill all the prophecies. You say you believe in Jesus? The science of probability attempts to determine the chance that a given event will occur. A professor at Westmont College has calculated the probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecies made concerning the Messiah. The estimates were worked out by 12 different classes representing some 600 university students on this project the students carefully weighed all the factors, discussed each prophecy at length and examined the various circumstances which might indicate that men had conspired together to now fulfill a particular prophecy. They made their estimates conservative enough so that there was finally unanimous agreement even among the most skeptical of students. However, the professor then took the estimates and made them even more conservative. He also encouraged other skeptics or scientists to make their own estimates and uh, get into the mathematical probability of such a thing being even all possible. To make their own estimates and see if the conclusions were more than fair. Finally, he submitted his figures for review to the Committee of the American Scientific Affiliation. Upon examination, they verified that his calculations were dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material presented. For example, concerning Micah 5 verse 2, where it states that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The professor and his students determined the average probability of someone from the beginning of the earth to the end of the earth as we know it from Adam and Eve, the beginning of time of this existence of this city, They divided by the average population of the earth during the same period of time. They concluded the chance of one man being born in Bethlehem was one in 300,000. After examining only eight, just eight prophecies, they conservatively estimated the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies is one in 10 to the power of 17. For those of you who know about this, that is 10 with 17 zeros that follow. That's your fraction there. To illustrate how large the number of 10 to the power of 17 is, a figure, of course, with 17 zeros, the professor gave you this illustration. If you mark... One of 10 tickets, I'm gonna take a second one here and uh, because this one's easier, just cut in through that. It says, suppose we take 10 to the power of 17 zeros, silver American dollars, and lay them on the face of the state of Texas. They would cover all of the state of Texas two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver coins and uh, stir the whole mess thoroughly all over the state, blindfold a man and tell the blindfolded man that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar with a special mark on it. What chance would he have in getting the right one? Just the same chance as the prophets would have had in writing these eight prophecies, having them all come true all in any one man from their day to this very present time that we are alive also. In financial terms, you could work that out if you take exponentially, if you see a prof- any company could prophesy, this chapter is about this, this uh, that the person who minimizes ignores the significance of the biblical identifying signs concerning the Messiah, If a person says that's not possible, then already that person becomes foolish. But of course, there are many more than eight prophecies. In other calculations, the professor used 48 prophecies, even though he could have used either Haim's 456 prophecies and arrived at the extremely conservative estimate of probability of 48 probabilities or 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one person, Which gives you now 10 to the power of 157 zeros after the 10. That's the chance of it. This is the result from considering a mere 48 prophecies. Obviously, the probability that the four hundred and fifty six prophecies would be fulfilled in one man by chance is vastly smaller, it's just like it. you can't, you can't. What Jesus did nobody can can do that. Once one goes past ten to the power of fifty, the probabilities are so small that it's impossible to think that they will ever occur. This is the result of concerning these prophecies as the professor concludes with these 600 students and all the skeptics beyond that. Any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved, listen to this, a fact Prove perhaps more absolutely Than any other fact In this world Or in the scientific world Or wherever ever In the knowledge of this world It is just physically impossible For anybody to do What Jesus did Would you stand and give the Lord a praise Come on now Come on now. Come on now. Yes. Yes. Jesus is Lord. Everybody say Jesus is Lord. Everybody say Son of God. My Savior. Give him another praise offering. Yes. I am constantly overwhelmed. If I look here at different places here in the biblical research and also the discoveries in biblical archaeology, it just goes on and tells you that the probability of doing what Jesus did is just beyond reach and it's the most powerful known fact that you can mathematically calculate or any other way or scientific proof. You know, scientists gather facts and they try to verify whatever they proved that they now proved and so they feel their way along. But this is not that. This is absolutely what it is. There's no way that anybody could fulfill what Jesus did. Just not no way. Well, we get on with it. There's more. So, we give to God because He is God. Everybody say, I give to God God because He is my God. God. Now, if I look at that, I like what Matthew Age did. Uh, The young man, he's a brilliant young preacher, very powerful one. He speaks about the grudging giver, the necessity giver, and the cheerful giver. And I liked what he did. Because the grudging giver, and he likens it unto you know flint rock where you have these two stones you that you bump them together and they make a spark. Have you ever had that? Let me see if you ever had that. How many of you did actually? We as school kids we got picked up the stones like they were white stones and another stone. You do that and there's little sparks. And he says that's the grudging givers. He put the maximized pressure on them. And the most you can get out of them is by beating, beating, beating until finally there's a spark, like we did as school kids. Finally something sparks. And you can't even light a fire with that. And this is now specifically designed and manufactured for that purpose and it's got a bigger spark now in that flint. But, you know, you, you hammer them, hammer them, hammer them, hammer them, little spark. It's a grudging giver. And he says, well, the necessity giver, he is what you call... He calls it, he says, that, that's, like a, that's like a sponge. They sit and they soak. And they soak while they sit. And they sit and they soak. And then they go out. The sponge is now full after the Sunday services. And then all week long they dry out. Next week they come and they sit and they soak. And they sit and they soak. And you have to, like he said, it has to be wrung out of them. I you must squeeze, I no. mean, you must druk, 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 Because they got it all. They're, they're a walking package. This package, I've given my life to Jesus, and all that's mine, Lord, here it is, and here I'm going with all my stuff, I'm giving my life to Jesus, I'm giving my life to Jesus, let's go to church now, sit, and soak. Take in the next message. Or the pastor had a good message, you know. Next week, doesn't say anything, goes home. Promptly forgets everything that was preached. What was the message last week? What was it? What was preached? Who preached last week? By the way, Mort preached last week. In case you were here last week. All right. Then he talks about the cheerful giver, and he takes it, and I love that too, because that's why, I'm repeating, it was just that good. He says, the cheerful giver is somebody who is like a honeycomb. Now, Mort's parents farmed with honey and they had these huge drums, spinning drums, like standing by the front door. They put the honeycombs in there and they turn this wheel and it begins to spin and the honeycombs begin to drip. And then, of course, it comes out by a little nozzle or taps and they collect the honey, put it in bottles there. They go off with the stuff. They farmed, they had these honeybees and all that. And you know, it was, a, it was a big test of time for me because I used to go and visit this young blonde and uh, very much, of course, she was very much in love with me. I mean, I, I, I must. <laughs> but um, now I'm sitting there and uh, I, I, I sit down. And as I sit down, I was reminded that her parents were. People that farmed with honey and uh, two bee stings, boom, boom. (laughs) The stupid bees, you know, what are they doing to me here? And there you go, you know, you jump and you get it twice. But those bees, it takes what did she say, how many hundred thousand? A hundred and twenty thousand visits to a flower to get an ounce of honey. And they live live only for two weeks. And once they don't do what they do, should do, then their wings are clipped off by the workers, the other ones. Oh, their wings break through the flowers. Ooh, say can I be story? (laughs) And when she was cross, she just put a couple of bees down there where I was supposed to be sitting Sometimes, I tell you, women are dangerous creatures. <laughs> Give the Lord a praise I'll forgive them. Hallelujah. So, what, he, what happens is, and then he, t- he took this on television, he had a, a honeycomb, and he picked it up like that. And the moment you pick it up, it just pours with honey. That golden, golden juice of the labor of all these little bees. Just poured... And it just, you know, you can put them down, the bees are there, lift them up, and it's pouring with honey. So he says that's the cheerful giver. Now, if I look at this here in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, because I've got something else for you. He says, now he who sows sparingly. The word sparingly literally means like. Well, it, it, it really is what it is. Uh, in the Greek here, phaidomenos, uh, which literally means sparsam. I, I, I save some, I hold back. But I only give that. Like that that's the one that you have to strike the rock. But also those will reap sparingly, and he who sounds, who sows bountifully, that is the one that if if a thing is bountiful, it means literally as a blessing, literally, it says here in the Greek here, it says, it says, as a blessing to God. It's from the Greek word, eulogia, giving a blessing to God. I'm bountiful, I'm blessing God with this gift. We'll also reap bountifully, so you'll get the blessing back. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Now, here's the grudging person, which we spoke about. The grudging purpose, person, according to these dictionaries, here is very interesting. I've got it all in front of me here. Is a person that experiences pain in his mind. It's a painful thing, you know. Why should I give to the church? You're ignorant. You're not giving to the church. You give to God. How many of you say I give to God? How many of you want to give to God? It's you and your savior. So you give to God. So the church is a place where people come and they worship the Lord. They take care of the people, baptism, dedication of children, and counseling, marriage, burial, and all the things that happens in this lifestyle. That's what the the church is there for, to take care of you. It's the house of the Lord. House of the Lord. I give to God. Grudgingly, is literally painful in mind and it says not grudging it says painful of mind sorrowful affliction it's distressing it's under pressure of necessity it is pressure it is calamity it is a torture it is a compulsion if I give of necessity so that's the first one don't get a spark out of that one hardly ever then you see the cheerful giver. And the cheerful giver, God loves the cheerful giver. And that cheerful giver, of course, is the one that uh, is able to bring forth the honey. And God says He's able to make all grace, grace abound to you, that you're always having all sufficiency in all things, may have this abundance for every good work as it is written. So we see three kinds of people a grudging giver. A necessity giver and a cheerful giver. The grudging giver has got, he's hardly making a spark. <laughs> the necessity, you've got to strike them to get anything out of them. <laughs> to get a spark out there. They barely are there. Boom. Pain, distressing. Necessity giver is one's under pressure. you got to, it's the old sponge concept. And then there's the cheerful giver. The one that's glad and he's just giving it because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, having said that, I still say to you that Jesus is Lord. I still say to you, when we come to the house of God, we come to the church, which is the house of God, we give to whom? To whom do we actually give? Can I see your hands if you say to God? Very clearly, that applies to all of us. Me, you, um, our family, my wife, all of us. It's just like it is. Why, why do we do it during the period of Thanksgiving? We'll get to that. And so maybe I would just want to read you something about this. Because it was President Lincoln. I think it was a Lincoln. I think it was around 1863, 64. He said, Thanksgiving proved to God The power of our gratitude when He gives us what we need even in times of hardship. Like with the COVID period. You heard about this COVID story that went on. It's the power of gratitude when our lives give us hardship. Then God is our provider. We don't know where the money is coming from. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Will I have enough bread and milk? We don't know what the future holds. But I think of Isaiah 26:3, where God says, you'll keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Peace comes when your mind is fixed on God, stayed on God. Disturbance of the peace comes when you think in another way. But if you have your mind set according to the word, and you keep the Lord in your mind. Peace is the obvious thing. The Prince of Peace. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is on you. So appreciation is what Thanksgiving is all about. It's the quality of gratitude. The quality of being thankful. Readiness to show appreciation. And to return kindness, appreciation refers to the recognition and the enjoyment of the good qualities of someone or something. We enjoy the Lord and all that the Lord entails in our lives. It involves a full understanding or the realization of the worth, the significance or the value of a person. In this case, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. Appreciation can also be expressed as gratitude for something received or experienced, even though we never even deserved it. It is often associated with a sensitive awareness or admiring acknowledgement of something or someone's value in our lives and his virtue in terms of applying his word to our lives. In financial context, it can also refer to the increase in the value of him in our lives. Now, I ask you again, why do we give to God? Everybody say, because He is my God. Now, if you say yes to that statement, because He's my God, lift your hands. Now, I'm so glad you did that now. Now, watch this. In this book, we find these prophecies And we see now that it's infinitely impossible for one person to fulfill all these prophecies. I can go on with this. I can get into archaeology in terms of fulfillment. I can go on with this. I can go to the history of Israel as we studied that. Just the pure history of Israel was a prescribed book I did at university. The history. And you say, is that possible for all these things to happen like that to a nation, to a people? I could go on with you from a historical point of view, from the beginning of the, uh, the, beginning of the world to the end of it, we can take from any given perspective, I can say that there's nobody that can say that Jesus is Lord except him who told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man comes to God the Father, receives everlasting life, the blessing of Abraham, providing in all of our needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. No one can claim it's my arm, the arm of my strength, my talents, my gifts, I'm this, I'm that, I'm able. No, we're only able to do all things through Christ. It is impossible in all world history to fulfill these Prophecies as I gave you the mathematics on that subject. Now, he said, you know, you search the scriptures and it's good for they are those who testify me. Now, I have scriptures and scriptures of these prophecies of the Messiah. It's unbelievable. Here's a very familiar little statement. I see Durki sitting over there. She used to do it in the early days for us. And I'm going to read what she said but this could be different from her version. In the book of Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In the book of Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In the book of Leviticus, he's our eternal high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like unto Moses. Deuteronomy 18, 50 to 20, by the way. In Joshua, he's the commander of the Lord's army outside of Jericho, they're speaking to Joshua. In judges, he's our judger, our judge and our lawgiver. In Ruth he's our kinsman redeemer. In first and second, Samuel he's the seed of David. In the book of Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In the book of Ezra, he's our faithful scribe, the word itself. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of everything that's broken down. In Esther, he's our Mordecai and our advocate. In Job, he's our everlasting, ever-living redeemer. In the book of Psalms, he's our shepherd. In the book of Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's our meaning for life on this earth. In the Song of Solomon, he is the loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, he's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the glorious Lord. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the outpourer of the Holy Spirit. In Amos, He's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's our judge and savior. In Jonah, he's the risen prophet. In Micah, he's the ruler of the world from Bethlehem. In Nahum, he's our stronghold. In Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, should I say, he's the watchman. In Zephaniah, he's the mighty one to save. In Haggai, he's the restorer. In Zechariah, he's the branch of David, the one pierced for us. In Malachi, He's the son of righteousness. In the book of Matthew, he's the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. Abba, Father. In the book of Mark, he's the servant, he's the miracle worker. In Luke, is the baby in the manger, is the son of man. In John he's the son of God, the living word, the way, the truth and the life. In Acts he's the savior of the world, the ascended lord. In Romans he is the justifier. In 1 Corinthians he's the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians he's our comforter, our comfort in the book of Galatians, he's our liberty. In Ephesians, he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy. In the book of Colossians, he is our completeness and the glue that holds our world together. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is the coming King. In First and Second Timothy, he is our mediator. In Philemon, he is our benefactor. In Titus, he is the blessed hope. In Hebrews, he is our perfection. In James, he's the power behind our faith. In first and second Peter, he's our chief shepherd and the chief cornerstone. In first and second and third John, he is the truth and the everlasting life. In the book of Jude, he's the foundation of our faith, our security. In Revelation, he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning, he's the end. He's the keeper of creation. He's the creator of all things. He's the architect of the universe and of the city of gold and the manager of all times. He was always, he always is, he always will be unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, never to be undone. Jesus is Jesus is Lord. Come on, if you praise God. Nishwani, 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 Nishwani. Lock your and your begin to praise the Lord. Come on, praise God properly in this place. Shout, Hallelujah! Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, why do I give to God a thanksgiving offering? Because of what? Because? Whose God is He? He is? Everybody say Jesus Christ is is Lord. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My God in whom I trust. He will provide for me. I thank you Jesus. Today I declare. No one can do what you've done. It is the most established fact known to mankind that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe in Jesus. I confess Him with my mouth. I believe in Him in my heart. And I believe that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore I am saved. I give you glory Lord for washing me in the blood of Jesus, filling me with the Holy Spirit now I know beyond any doubt that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of my life. Give the Lord God Almighty the best praise offering of the year. Shout hallelujah. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Lift up your hands and praise the Lord. Come on, everybody. Praise God. Shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now you see, with that now, we can now climb a mountain. Because somebody's going up the steep mountain with us. (laughs) Amen. 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 Let's raise our hands. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all now and forever. Now you know beyond the shadow of doubt that Jesus is Lord of your life. Whether it's even Thanksgiving or all the days of our lives, you are Lord forever. We shall give unto God. And all God's people said, God bless you. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.